So before you get into your story tonight, uh, I want to go back to, we were talking last week about the EVP. Yes. Kidding around mostly, right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that came across last week that we were just kind of joking about it. Yeah. I've actually wanted to do something on EVPs because I'm very suspicious about them. Yeah. Because it's very subjective, I guess. You know, if you know what to expect to hear, you're always going to hear that yeah, type it, of thing. It feels like a mind trick type right. thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody tells you what it says, then automatically you're going to start hearing that yeah. type of thing. You were asking about the context, and I haven't looked it up yet, so I will pull that. But I do know that it was when we were talking about the alligator man and I was talking about him throwing it through the window. I had a feeling it had <laughs> to do with the alligator. The, so I, I don't think it had to do anything with the context. If it was an EBP, right? Well, because you said it was saying pretty or something, right? Right. That's what it sounded like. But maybe it was saying the alligator was pretty. Yeah, there you go. Could be. <laughs> My suspicion, I was thinking about it this week, and I did catch that on the edited tracks. So obviously we do a lot of cleaning up of the tracks before the final editing, and that's where I picked it up. Yeah. I would suspect if I went back to the raw audio that it would sound a lot different because my suspicion is it's just an anomaly of some throat gurgle or stomach (laughs) gurgle or something like that. And that happens a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It'd still be amazing if our stomachs could talk, but... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Amazing? I don't know. Creepy? Weird? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I'll try to pull that up for next time, the actual raw audio, and see if there's anything there. Okay. And I'll also think about if there's a story there. Because I I would like to talk about EVPs, but I just don't know if there's really a lot to talk about. But I'll look that up, get back with you next week. What do you have tonight? Okay. Before I start this, I wanted to mention that there are mentions of sexual assault in my story. So as usual, I would never go into details if there ever were any provided. But I know this is a sensitive topic, and I want to give trigger warnings. April is also National Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And this was not planned, but I still wanted to bring some very much needed awareness to it. There are tons of resources for survivors, and many are provided on RAIN.org. So that is R-A-I-N-N.org. And the national hotline is 1-800-656-4673. And we'll throw that out on social media. Yes. 
But I wanted to put that out there before I go to my story. Again, it was not a planned thing. I didn't search for a story to do this, but yeah. it, it just happened. My story that I am talking about tonight is Paul John Knowles, a.k.a. the Casanova Killer. Never heard of Yeah, he's... I've heard comparisons of him and Bundy. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't really see it. They, I mean, he's horrible. They right. both were. But I don't really, I don't know. You can, I guess you can compare any yeah. serial killer. Paul John Knowles was born in Florida in 1946. At the age of 19, he was first arrested and continued spending a lot of time in and out of prison the years following on convictions for burglary and auto theft. In 1974, he was granted parole and flew directly to San Francisco, wanting to marry Mrs. Angela Kovic, whom he had communicated with from prison. Angela was a recently divorced cocktail waitress that had fallen in love with Paul after becoming his pen pal while he was in jail. She ended the relationship because of something a psychic told her. Allegedly, the psychic foresaw the entry of a new dangerous man in her life and said that Paul had a aura of fear. That's bizarre. We've yeah. talked about the whole pen pal thing before, which is bizarre to me, but That's a thing though. I, yeah, I think it's like the big thing. Something you can do online, isn't it? Well, it's one thing to be pen pals, which is fine. It's these <laughs> women who fall in love with well, maybe not just somebody in prison, but the ones that are in there for life. Yeah. Well, he wasn't in there for life. No, I know. Yeah. But, but, I'm yeah. Just, yeah. but yeah, it is interesting. But I have seen a lot of people sign up for pen pals for prisoners. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's strange at all. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. It's the I guess the groupies. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> After the rejection, Paul allegedly went out and killed three people on the streets of San Francisco, but his claims were not verified. Back home in Jacksonville, Paul was jailed after he pulled a knife during a bar fight, but he picked a lock and escaped. On that night, July 26, 1974, he broke into the home of 65-year-old Alice Curtis, a retired school teacher. He tied her up and gagged her while he ransacked her house for money, finally taking off in her car. She ended up choking to death on the gag and her dentures. Yes. Paul stayed around town for a few days using her vehicle until police connected him with the crime and his pictures began turning up on TV. Preparing to leave the car on a quiet residential street, he saw 11-year-old Lillian Anderson and her 7-year-old sister, Milette. He was convinced the girls had seen him and would notify police, so he kidnapped both of them and dumped their strangled bodies in a swamp outside of the town. Jesus. The next day in Atlantic Beach, Florida, Paul broke into the home of Marjorie Howe, strangling her with a nylon stocking. He then stole her television set. His next victim was a teenage Jane Doe hitchhiker who was sexually assaulted and strangled. She was never identified? No. That's sad. Yeah. On August 23rd, he broke into the home of Kathy Pierce, strangling her with a telephone cord while her three-year-old son looked on, but he left the child unharmed. 
Jeez. I don't really agree with the unharmed thing, though, because... Yeah, he was definitely harmed mentally. Yeah, yeah, I can't even imagine. On September 3rd, Paul met businessman William Bates at a tavern in Ohio. They shared a few drinks before he strangled William and dumped his body in the woods. The body wasn't discovered until October. Paul stole money, credit cards, and William's car and made his way to Sacramento back through Utah. He made his way through Nevada and ended up killing campers Emmett and Lewis Johnson on September 18th. Three days later in Texas, he spotted a female stranded on the side of the road and stopped, claiming to help her, but instead he sexually assaulted her before he strangled her to death and dragged her body through a tangled barbed wire fence. Man, he's just all over the place. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. Well, scary either way, but... He just lost it. Yeah. On September 23rd, he met beautician Ann Dawson in Birmingham and instantly caught her attention. They traveled together at her expense until Paul got tired of her and killed her on September 29th, and her body was never found. Paul continued on through Oklahoma, Missouri, Iowa, and Minnesota, apparently leaving no bodies behind, but by October 19th, he needed a, quote, fix. In Virginia, breaking into the home of 53-year-old Doris He shot her dead with her own husband's rifle, wiped his prints from the gun, and placed it beside her body. Afterward, police would find no signs of assault or robbery to offer any motive in the case. Still driving William's stolen car, Paul picked up two hitchhikers in Key West, planning to kill them both, but his scheme went awry when a policeman stopped him for a traffic violation. The officer let Paul go with a warning, but the experience had shaken him. Dropping his passengers off in Miami, Paul phoned his lawyer for advice. Rejecting a suggestion of surrender, he met the attorney long enough to hand over a taped confession, then slipped out of town before police were informed of his presence. On November 6 in Georgia, Paul became friends with Carswell Carr and was invited home to spend the night. He stabbed Carswell to death and then strangled the 15-year-old daughter. In the wake of his flight from Georgia, Paul was also suspected in the November 2nd murder of hitchhiker Edward Hilliard, found in some nearby woods, and his companion Debbie Griffin, still among the missing. While bar hopping in Atlanta on November 8th, Paul met British journalist Sandy Fox, impressing her with his good looks. They had spent the night together, but he let her go, and people believe that he let her go because he wanted fame. How was he going to get fame? Because she was a journalist. Don't, I don't. That's hmm. what their suspicions were. I'm assuming that was after everything came out. I just didn't know if he was planning ahead, saying, well, when I do get caught, then. Yeah, I have no idea what went through his mind. That was just suspicions of other people. He never really said that, that I know of. Hmm. They separated on November 10th. But Paul picked up one of Sandy's friends, Susan McKenzie, the next day, demanding sex at gunpoint. She escaped and notified police, but when patrolmen tried to stop him, he brandished a sawed-off shotgun and made his escape. 
In West Palm Beach, he broke into the home of Beverly, abducting her sister and stealing their car, dropping his hostage off in Fort Pierce, Florida, the following night. A police officer recognized the stolen car the next morning and pulled him over, but he took the officer hostage. He drove away in the patrol car using a siren to stop motorist James Meyer, switching at cars a second time. Burdened with two prisoners now, Paul handcuffed both men to a tree and shot each one in the head at close range. A short time later, Paul tried to crash through a police roadblock, losing control of his car and smashing into a tree. A chaotic foot chase ensued with him being pursued by dogs and helicopters. He was cornered by an armed civilian on November 17th. While in custody, he claimed 35 murders, but only 18 could be verified. Over the next month, police tried taking Knowles on a tour of his crime scenes to get insight and attempt to locate the missing bodies. On December 18th, while being transferred to maximum security, he grabbed for the sheriff's revolver, and FBI agent Ron Angel shot him dead in his tracks. Well, that solved that problem. Yep. I wonder if that's the comparison of escaping police custody, because Bundy did that a lot. He did travel around a lot, like Bundy, I guess. Yeah. He seemed to travel a lot more than Bundy did. A lot more. I'm betting there's a lot more, unfortunately, a lot more victims than even what he said. I mean, yeah. It sounded like he was just out of control. Yeah. I'd be very curious to know. I didn't see it anywhere, but I'd be very curious to know what happened with the confession tape. Yeah. But it's very sad, and I hope that they can identify. Yeah. But I definitely believe that there's a lot more, like you said. To me, it's always been so strange that they claim that they've, like he claimed 35 murders, but they're only verifying 18 or they only charged for a certain amount. Well, I imagine a lot of them, especially when they're out of state and stuff, that they're they're having trouble locating Oh, that's true. Especially if they're more John Doe's, Jane Doe's. Yeah. That he's claiming, but, you know, are they going to spend the time to go track them down? Hopefully they would, but especially if he doesn't even really tell them exactly where it happened. Yeah. I feel like a lot of serial killers do that. They claim a lot of murders, but they won't tell you the location because they're just taunting people at that point. Yeah. But it's sad. What if he actually remembered all the details of his murders or he was just throwing numbers out? That's what I was wondering because I don't know. I'm assuming they don't keep a log. I mean, that sounds like very morbid, but they're serial killers, so you never know. But like, do they actually know how many they've killed and do they actually know the locations? Well, some of them keep mementos and stuff, right? Yeah. Like so they can relive the murders in their minds? Yeah. But I feel like, wouldn't that become too much if they're going like I don't, at such yeah. a great speed of that? I don't know how they could keep track of them all. Yeah. Especially if they're just keeping track in their head. Yeah. But 
who knows what's going on in those minds. That's true. I was also wondering if he was always killing because he needed to, or if it was that he sometimes just needed money, like killing the guy at the bar. Yeah. Whether it was just because he needed a car and some money, or or maybe both. Yeah. He needed his quote-unquote fix, and he could use the money. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because his motive isn't consistent like they usually are with serial killers. He had killed men, women, and children of all different age ranges, which seems very uncommon with serial killers, especially the different, you know, like men and women and stuff like that. Yeah, it seems with a lot of serial killers, they have a type. Yeah. He just had these urges to kill or whatever. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah, very unfortunate. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. It's just so horrible. Yep. Yeah, I don't know what to say. Was that it? Yes. Very sad. Remember the victims. Yes. I'm not sure how long we're going, so why don't we wrap it up? And I'll have a story for next week, and I'll have that recording, hopefully. Thank you very much for joining us. Make sure to visit next week for more weird and creepy stories. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 12past3, or email us at podcast at 12past3.com. Good night. Good night.